Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4186 of The Bugle, where bad facts and good lies come to meet, mingle, and perhaps more. (laughs) For the first time and the last time ever, it's Friday the 12th of March 2021, a day that by the time you listen to this, Buglers, will have joined days such as the 27th of August 1842, the 6th of January 1984, and the 12th of October 786 as days in history, (laughs) along with... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or as we now know it, uh, 15th of July, 19,012 BC. Uh, I'm Annie Zaltzman, and if you could see me now, I would ask you to get out of my shed, please. I'm at work. <laughs> and joining me for this week's Bugle, firstly, from San Francisco, USA, it's Nato Green. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. It's good to see everyone. How, how's things in uh, in San Francisco, Nato? Well, Andy, you know, uh, it was my birthday last week. And thank you very much. And as you know, when you are a dad in your 40s uh, (laughs) and it's your birthday, uh, you are gifted a fair amount of alcohol. Uh, (laughs) By your children. (laughs) uh, Just whoever. So like I I didn't, you know, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said this is who I was about to become. But uh, I've made peace with it. Do I need to keep absinthe and cardamaro around the house? Apparently, I do. How many different kinds of vermouth do I need? Apparently, the, oh, lots. the correct answer is three. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's what's going on in my life right now. I've become. Don't look a vermouth horse in the mouth. <laughs> oh. No, is that right? No. Don't look a gift vermouth in that. I got it wrong. We laughed because the rhythm well, was there. What, like it so sounded like it should work. <laughs> Did we want to say, don't look a gift horse in the vermouth? Yes. Is that where we were going? Yes, okay, that's, that's what, what we want to say. say. Good. I think that's, that's, that's where so we're going. I am accepting alcohol sponsorships from <laughs> uh, people who are making artisanal small batch syrups uh, to mix into cocktails, <laughs> from uh, uh, cask strength whiskey distillers, you know, the whole thing. I developed a bit of a taste for vermouth on a trip to Spain early last year. <laughs> My lockdown legacy. Um, also joining us uh, from London, it's, uh, well, you've already heard a butchering. <laughs> already heard a butchering messing up joke a joke. One of the show. Um, <laughs> hello to ah. Tiffany Stevenson. Uh, hello. Hello, Buglers. Look, it happens. It's in the moment. I got very excited because I'm recording this in the corner of my living room. Uh, and then the other corner is my 1950 uh, sideboard full of things like vermouth right, nice. and frangelico because yep. everyone needs a drink that's kind of dressed like a slutty <laughs> monk. So I've got... The best kind of monk. <laughs> the best kind of monk. The, 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 the little rope belt on mine is slung very low. Um, so, yes, I've got that in the cupboard. I've got Angostura bitters with a label that doesn't fit because it never no. will. Um, but I believe there's a, a long history yeah. to that. But yeah, so I was excited as soon as you mentioned cocktails, I sort of like lost my mind a little bit. So I, I'm so, back in the room. So buglers uh, to to the uh, listening audience that that are near Tiff's house, someone deliver her a bottle of Damiana, and I will Venmo you because Damiana is a a, a, a Mexican <laughs> liqueur that has some herbal spices with tequilas. But the bottle is a naked woman with big ass titties. Uh, and I think Tiff needs that on the okay. sideboard. Okay, I I've got skull vodka. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Let's have the big titted. I'm starting. 
Big-titted the lady. has really changed over the years. <laughs> now it appears to become an erotic alcoholic drinks podcast. <laughs> you know, that's the great thing with podcasting. There's a niche for everything. Um, so, uh, and uh, I suppose you have something else you want to talk about today, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> We are recording uh, on the Friday, the 12th of March. Uh, on Monday, the 15th of March, it'll be the uh, anniversary of Julius Caesar in 44 BC, copping a bit of an assassination during a Senate meeting amongst the many conspirators who contributed to uh, Julius Caesar's uh, brief career as the circus act, the human pincushion, were Brutus and Cassius, so wealthy industrialists, of course, who made their money in respectively aftershave and watches. Well, thanks to my legacy as a as a student of uh, ancient Rome back back in the day, um, I've managed to get access to the Roman newspapers from the following day. The uh, the tabloid newspaper headlines the day after uh, Caesar's assassination. Uh, here we've got uh, Julius Caesar. Um, <laughs> uh, Brew must be kidding me. Uh, assassinated. Um, then you've got uh, the more generic ones. Uh, senators find stab solution. Um, do you see that? That's uh, picking up on uh, Julius Caesar's abbreviated name, Juicy, very much the J-Lo of his day. Uh, <laughs> do you see that? Twit tyrant staggered by daggers and also promises all the juicy details, really uh, doubling down on that juicy name. Uh, at G's, Senator Sleazy Wheeze brings C's to his knees. Um, and uh, this one uh, from uh, Tempora Pecuniaria. Uh, shares rebound after Caesar assassination, as markets expect ensuing civil wars will eventually lead to long period of imperial stability and growth. Um, that one uh, printed on pink scrolls, of course. Um, <laughs> as always, a section of the bugle is going straight. That makes my degree worthwhile, people. I mean, that that's that one piece of comedy makes those uh, all those wasted years in government money. <laughs> from the days before you had to pay for yourself. Um, anyway, focus. Uh, as always, the section of the bugle is going straight in the bin this week. Uh, music section, uh, in particular, focusing on deep fake duets. Uh, deep fake technology, obviously, is something that humanity has to handle with a. Uh, with care, but one of the exciting things is it's enabling uh, modern music stars to perform duets with long dead stars from the past. And uh, we look at some of the recent duets that have uh, been deep faked uh, from uh, long dead musicians and uh, contemporary collaborators. Uh, uh, first one, uh, Henry VIII, uh, English king, who aside from his uh, full time job of being a, a monarch, uh, as well as a, a freelance schism designer and monastery dissolver, dabbled in music as a composer and musician, and computer technology uh, has teamed him up with the K-pop sensations G-Idol, who, as a six-piece girl band, are perhaps understandably reported to be, quotes, nervous <laughs> about the project. <laughs> Italian violin virtuoso Nick Paganini, born 1782, he's uh, going to be bowing out some fat chops on the violin with the Bro Country stars florida georgia line interesting to see the fruits of that collaboration uh, can uh, the technically unfathomable genius level musicianship of paganini fit in with three chord peons to women's legs we shall see um the florida uh, florida georgia line of course uh, creators of the uh, 2013 song get your shine on a waspish satire on cricket's hypocritical struggles with the techniques and morality of reverse swing bowling in the 1990s of course while their follow-up dirt was a barely concealed exoneration of uh, former England captain Mike Atherton over the so-called Dirt in the Pocket scandal from the Lord's Test of 1994. And their 2019 flop Blessings is a touching tribute to the Zimbabwean international cricketers Blessing Mawira and Blessing Muzarabani that sadly failed to hit home with the country music by Republic of America. 
And also, our final, um, our final deep fake historical <laughs> pop collaboration, the 19th century Swedish opera star Jenny Lind, also known as the Swedish Nightingale, uh, teams up with the uh, American duo Niles Barkley, made up of CeeLo Green and Danger Mouse, I'm reliably informed, for a computer-generated collaboration <laughs> in which two versions of Green and Mouse uh, perform the backing tracks and vocals for a single Jenny Lind in a record entitled... The Nightingale Sings with Barclay Squared. And uh, there's a little music and mathematics joke with which to bring this section to its much-deserved end. Top story this week, massive public spending news. And, um, well, NATO, let's start in America because it's been a, well, a great week for huge use of public funds. Uh, Joe Biden's near $2 trillion, holy moly, we've got a grandmother load of shit to clear up, coronavirus relief bill has been passed uh, by Congress, which gave it a resounding yes, of course, and definitely no, what a ridiculous idea, as basically all the Democrats (laughs) voted for it and all the Republicans voted against it. $1.9 trillion. Uh, I mean, that seems like a lot, NATO, but I mean, is that a lot in the context of uh, the the current American debt tab? Uh, Well... It, 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 it's a lot in terms of the current American debt tab, but uh, in terms of the, the, the level of fuckery that we have to deal with, the amount of resources it will take to unfuck ourselves after how thoroughly and exhaustively and methodically we have fucked ourselves over the last low these many years, it is, uh, it is not excessive. It is an appropriate amount. Uh, it's a it, there. It's a stimulus bill. Last night, actually, Joe Biden gave a, a primetime address. That he announced uh, yesterday that uh, that they intended to have vaccines available for all ad- adults in the United States by May first, and a return to be relative normalcy by the Fourth of July, uh, which, as you know, is um, uh, the the uh, ten day eve of Bastille Day. Um, so, which which we celebrate uh, assiduously in this country. So, uh, I I am having a strange feeling, like I'm having trouble processing it. Uh, I'm feeling I haven't said this word in a long time, um, so I'm, I may not be able to remember how to pronounce it. Is it? I'm feeling a hoop 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 how <laughs> hoop hope. I'm feeling hope. Hope uh, I believe it's pronounced hope air. Hope uh, for the first time. This the just just like the stimulus bill, one point nine trillion. But if you go through the different components of it, like one piece of it is an expansion of the child tax credit that is expected to cut child poverty in half. Uh, that's it's incredible. So uh, and and then of course you know because I am on the left, some of my friends on the left <laughs> are mad that it didn't go far enough, right? Like there are people who that it's it is the most ambitious uh, government stimulus. Ever, uh, it is better. You know, people like Miss Obama, and it's better than what Obama pulled off. Uh, and people are like, boo! It's Joe. You know, it's Joe Biden, and we don't like him, and we would rather protest losing than win. That's sort of like the, you know, uh, why hasn't he abolished prisons already? As well as this other thing, it's like. Well, I mean, well, clearly, not everyone in America is happy about it because it places the American values of 
equality, support for the less fortunate and collective strength above the equally American values of inequality, heartless capitalist excess and rapacious individualism. <laughs> so it's quite a clash, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, we're really we're really in the midst of a, of a clash of civilization. One of the things that the bill didn't have that we wanted was an inc- a rise in the minimum wage. Uh, that there had been a campaign for many years to raise the minimum wage for 15 to $15 an hour, and it didn't pass because eight Democrats voted against it, all eight of whom had previously publicly supported it. And raising the minimum wage uh, is uh, supported by 60% of Americans and about 85% of Democrats. So those eight Democrats didn't want to vote for it at this time because it's too popular. Uh, they they felt like, look, man, I was into the minimum wage before it was cool, and now everyone is into the minimum wage, and I think it's gotten corny. Look, Democrats, it's the minimum wage. It's not Imagine Dragons. Uh, so... The minimum wage is going to go and do a residency yeah. in Vegas, and I want nothing to do with it. Now. So, so when you're looking, I mean, it's, American politics and economics for an outsider is is well eternally baffling. So, when why the the, the Republicans aside from just naked politics, why why are they so opposed? Because I was reading that the uh, the relief bill should reduce annual projected poverty for 2021 from 13.7 percent to 8.7%. Is the idea that once it drops below 10%, where's the incentive for the rich to keep going to work if they know that they're not really <laughs> inflicting that much pain on, on the poor? Is that, is that, is that, is that a, is it an issue of motivation? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from the perspective of the rich, their biggest fear is not actually that, that the poverty rate will fall and it will lead to inflation. Their biggest fear is that the poverty rate will fall and it will make their Uber driver mouthy. Uh, and, <laughs> what about the apex yeah. predators? So the bill also refo- re- provides relief funding to schools, and uh, in typical uh, Republican twister uh, logic, Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama wanted to deny school funding to states that allow transgender students to play sports according to their birth sex. <laughs> Uh, oh man! So, uh, motion to forevermore refer to anal sex as Tuberville from now on. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we look. We've been dating for a while. I think we're ready to pay a visit to Tuberville. <laughs> I got us an Airbnb in Tuberville. Are you into that? Um, so, um, I mean, if we if we're gonna do euphemisms, I just I don't like that the Americans call it a stimulus package. <laughs> it's. It sounds like a euphemism for vibrator. I like, and all I've seen is Americans going, I'm waiting for my stimulus package for months. I'm going to have to make do with my electric toothbrush. Uh, Nancy Pelosi described uh, the uh, stimulus bill as, uh, quote, the most consequential legislation that many of us will ever be a party to. Uh, well, I'm not sure she's right about that. Wait till the rejoin Britain bill comes around and I'll give it three years. And it was criticised by Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House of Representatives, uh, who said it's not a rescue bill, it's a laundry list of left-wing priorities, which was a, a curious way of putting it, a laundry list, because I guess if you've got a laundry list, it does suggest that over the past four years, your clothes have been covered in shit. So maybe... <laughs> You know, that is perhaps the best, best way of describing it. Uh, $1,400 per person stimulus payments um, uh, are included in this bill. Now, in American terms, that amounts to, what is it, about 60 or 70 brunches or 2,000 rounds of ammunition uh, or five online exorcisms. I did genuinely check that. You can get them for just under $300 a pop. Uh, 361 bottles of easy cheese, sprayable cheese. 
uh, two inflatable Mitch McConnells, the non-erotic version, uh, or 120 um, odd tickets to the Bugle live show on Saturday, the 27th of March. Priced at seven pounds. Booking fee. Tickets available on the website. Um, 16 cameo videos from Nigel Farage. Um, Oh. Who um, we will t- we'll touch on uh, a, a little bit later, but he's uh, he's can we not he's touch joined, anything uh, he's joined <laughs> cameo, which was not something I've I've been aware of, but it's uh, so kind of celebrities basically hawk individualized videos for a certain sixty three pounds seventy five to get Nigel Farage to send you a to send send you a message oh, about about a hundred hundred dollars or so, which uh, seems seems quite a lot. I'm gonna I think I might book him to uh, record a message, not for me. Uh, but for my uh, my uh, as yet hypothetical uh, unborn grandchildren, just saying sorry. Uh, <laughs> or uh, for your fourteen hundred dollars, you could get uh, about twenty minutes of the time of baseballer Mike Trout, whose four hundred and twenty-six million dollar twelve-year contract works out at around four thousand dollars an hour, assuming a twenty-four-seven, three-six-five working schedule. And uh, I think we can assume that because Trout is always on call wherever and whenever a baseball needs to be hit. Uh, moving across the Atlantic to uh, massive amounts of public money being spent in, uh, well, I, I, I think a less uh, productive manner. The uh, track and trace scheme here has been under the uh, the microscope here, the House of Commons Public Account Committee, which keeps an eye on exactly how much money governments chunder into the capacious void of political panicry. Uh, dis- said that the uh, <laughs> our government's track and trace scheme to deal with COVID has gobbled up, quotes, unimaginable amounts of public money, £37 billion in total for last year and this year. That's three Olympics at least that we've frittered away uh, there. Um, and it, it's been uh, claimed that the, the scheme has basically been marked by the four I's, inefficiency, incompetence, idiocy, and I know him, let's give him a multi-million pound contract to do something he's no record in doing. Um, Tiff, you are our um, government waste correspondent. Um, this is, uh, it's been quite an inc- impressive achievement, really, to spend so much money to so little effect. I just I hadn't been that interested in track and trace. Like I'd be interested in it if track and trace were a movie about a female athlete named Tracy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would really it would it's not grabbing me otherwise. Uh, but uh, basically, the Independent have produced this list of um, the biggest wastes of public money, and track and trace is in the mix. It's kind of like a. Um, a league table. I want to make it a bit Alan Moore, so I'm going to call it League of Extraordinary Waste Men. <laughs> um, uh, brackets and woman. Because uh, uh, um, what we have is a list of wonderful cross-party cock-ups. Uh, so we've got Track and Trace in at 37 billion. The NHS IT system, 24 billion. Uh, the public service pension reform, 17 billion. These have been adjusted to today's figures. Uh, one of my favourites, the Millennium Dome, uh, at £1.3 billion. Uh, so basically the total cost, if you don't know about our Millennium Dome, uh, uh, NATO, let me share with you. So this was, it was estimated at around £780 million, so £1.3 uh, billion today, with most of the money coming from the National Lottery. And um, various private sector bidders for the attraction sort of dropped out and the government ulti- ultimately disposed of the Dome. Uh, for nothing to a consortium of property developers. And they were like, we'll get some money from the O2 venue, which is now a music venue. And at the time, they said, in value for money terms, this is the best deal we could have got, said the minister in charge, Lord Falconer. 
why is someone called Lord Falconer, clearly a character from Conan the Barbarian, why is he allowed to decide how, how this public spending happens? Like you could, you're a Lord, you, could, you couldn't be more out of touch with what people want. And this is why our system is inherently ridiculous. You know, we, we've wasted money. Like I imagine him having one foot up on the castle window <laughs> and an eagle on his arm, <laughs> you know, like, um, well, that's, if that's what we can get for it, take it, peanuts for the peasants. Um, one, 1. 1.3 billion. I mean, it's not the most expensive. Also on the list is Concord at 10 billion, which feels, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel. I, uh, Concord feels a little bit more, at least like it was exciting technology. Yeah, it was loud at as the well. time. I mean, the, the Millennium Dome was. I mean, that seemed to, to sort of capture the, the the moment. Really, that was uh, the early years of the the Tony Blair government, and they spent a ludicrous amount of money on something that was unbelievably pointlessly shit. And it was essentially they yeah they built the Millennium Dome and filled it with uh, what was universally viewed as one of the most pointless exhibitions. In history, um, and I can't even remember what I didn't. I didn't go to it. My wife went to it, and uh, but it was like there was a giant human body in it, and a load of just assorted uh, focus group generated crap. And it, I think that's where <laughs> the, the faith in the Blair, the the, the the sort of Blair revolution started to dwindle. You think, oh, what, what? I mean, what, you can't come up with something less shit than that. And then on Millennium Night, there was uh, the the River of Fire was supposed to go down the Thames, and. Um, it didn't light, so we just end up with a river of water, which was <laughs> less impressive. Um, but um, I mean, the, the thing with Test and uh, Track and Trace is it's managed to hit that sweet spot of both substandard performance and surplus capacity, which is actually quite a high tariff manoeuvre. I mean, it's, to do one or the other, that's yeah, you know, a piece of piece of cake politically. But to do both at once uh, is uh, that that takes something. And um, I, I don't know if it's going to uh, even damage Boris Johnson politically because so much of his political strategy has been based on making himself come across as someone who couldn't give a flying f*** about uh, other ordinary people and uh, the workers of the UK and the less fortunate. So obviously, you know, wasting all this money is probably going to play well with the voting public. Royal news now, and well, since we're on the subject of uh, <laughs> wasting public money, uh, it's it's time to look at the the latest situation in the the royal family here in uh, in the United Kingdom. And for anyone worried about Britain in this post Brexit, post divorce phase, worry no more because the vital signs of life are still there. The definitive proof that Britain lives on alive and well because we are still tearing ourselves apart over the royal family as it tears itself apart. Now, um. There's very few things that genuinely bind this country together, Tiff, but uh, medieval feudalism <laughs> remains one of them. And um, over the past week, the country has been divided once again into fundamentally people who couldn't give a flying fuck about the internal squabblings of our symbolic non-executive figurehead family and those who do give a flying fuck about it. And I mean, it's quite hard. I'm not sure there is a bridge between those two, two halves of the country, is there? Um, I think there, I think there is, I think there's a, there's a, um, like abolish the monarchy, which is me. Uh, but also at the same time, I quite like Meghan and Harry. Um, and I view them like, we don't need the Royals anymore. We've got celebrities now. Let's just go like the America, the Americans and just have celebrity families. Uh, we don't, I mean, it's been an interesting week because, uh, uh back in 2018, uh, myself and, uh, a little-known comic called John Oliver. Um, both both did bits on TV about uh, 
wire. Both did bits about, well, answering the question of, are you excited by the royal wedding? Um, which I was asked uh, multiple times and by Americans, like kind of, because I think Americans assume that British people are generally on board with the monarchy. Um, and when I was asked, you know, like, was I excited about the wedding? I said, no. How would you have to feel if you had to pay every time a Kardashian got married? <laughs> um, like, that's sort of how I feel about royal weddings. <laughs> I, I, I'm following this as an outsider to your shenanigans. Uh, so, and I'm trying to follow who people are. So, but so, uh, but Piers Morgan looks like if Stephen Fry was a sausage casing having a, an allergic reaction to itself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch the uh, Oprah Winfrey uh, interview with uh, with Meghan and Harry uh, because, well, a I'm 46, uh, and you know I'm not really an adult in any respects of my life, but I have grown out of giving a flying one about stories of princes and princesses and castles and magic hats and families being appointed by God to do a specific job for an infinite number of generations. That is my one concession to adulthood. And I'm, like I said, I'm just not... My view of the royal family is very much like someone's view of snooker who doesn't like snooker. Um, uh, I mean, the similarities are obvious. I don't really care what happens. I don't understand why it's on TV so much. I'm slightly confused by the strange old-fashioned <laughs> clothing. Uh, not, most other countries don't really like the idea of it. Uh, it would be nice if it's a little more diverse, and it's probably a matter of time before China takes the whole thing over. So, uh, you know, I can I can see you know that people do like it. Not not my bag. Um, nothing against you know m- most of the royal family as individuals as out, outdated historical relics go. They're they're fine uh, in the grand scheme of things. If you overlook the perpetuation of the socially corrosive view that you can be born special, and I'm prepared to do that just this once. <laughs> but I think the problem with this is that. And why this has caused such ructions is because the royal family is a beacon of Britishness. And in this interview, it was really an assault on some of the absolute pillars of British traditions, <laughs> such as not talking openly about mental health, not calling out racism, and of rich and powerful men's wives being nice and quiet and not saying anything. Now, those are three bulwarks <laughs> of our history <laughs> and society, and they rode roughshod over them. So you can understand why some people have got very cross about it. I, I love that feature of British news coverage that that uh, where the buildings talk. Buckingham Palace is speaking to yeah. ten, to Ten Downing. <laughs> ten Downing had a stern rebuke to Buckingham Palace. The palace would like a word. Buckingham Palace and Ten Downing are spooning. Palace lives matter. Not the people. So the credenza in the picture gallery would like to issue a statement. This is bullshit. <laughs> Uh, now it's time for our special convoluted good news section. Um, NATO is one of life's great optimists, as discussed earlier on. Um, you are our convoluted good news uh, correspondent, and you've managed to, to find some some glimmers of light in the universe for us this week. Uh, that's right, Andy. So, uh, you know, one of the challenges of, of following the news is you have to cut through the noise. Uh, a lot of good news involves like a convoluted quadruple negative. Like we defeated repealing, not funding, contingent on funding, not, and then you have to be like, you have like to have a flow chart to be like, oh, that's actually great. Um, so they they hit it. Uh, so th- uh, this week, the House of Representatives passed the Pro Act to make it easier for workers to form unions. Uh, it's very exciting. In the floor debate, Democratic Ohio Congressman uh, Tim Ryan said, "Heaven forbid, we pass something that's going to help the damn workers of the United States of America." Uh, in what he thought was a retort to the Republicans. And the Republicans replied, exactly. That's exactly what we think. Uh, heaven forbid we help the damn workers. We would just, we would be happy to damn the workers. That's why is he shouting? We've been saying this all along. Um, uh, another bit of good news. 
in an attempt to defeat challengers from the left, like Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee blacklisted campaign consultants who worked on primaries in order to deprive those campaigns of campaign staff. And in a win for the left, the DCCC stopped doing that. They reversed the rule uh, because uh, I don't know, you don't know how difficult it is to find someone who can mock up a glossy campaign mailer with a photo of the candidate in an improbably multiracial group of people <laughs> holding a baby while looking pensively into the distance and also listening intently to constituents next to text about a heartwarming folksy homily about their personal narrative. Uh, so that was great. Uh, so I'm, I was intrigued by this, 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 this blacklist. So they basically, it, you know, for vendors who'd worked for progressive primary candidates were put on a blacklist that then stopped them working for any other Democrats. Is that essentially correct? Right. So, I mean, cause it's always surprising as an outsider to find all these cheeky little anti-democratic Easter eggs hidden in the American democratic system. <laughs> there, there seems to be an almost infinite number of them. Uh, or, or, or we're not totalitarian. We won't throw you in jail or literally censor you. We'll just deprive you of your livelihood until you surrender. Uh, and that is freedom. Um, so, is it the left trying to prevent the left from becoming too that, left? That's right. That uh, that that the center left is concerned that the left will do something that is popular uh, and successful, <laughs> and will will get get in the way of our undefeated run of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, and we can't let that happen. <laughs> I was reading about this um, uh, this, uh, this this public charge uh, th- um, policy of the Trump administration, and um, uh, his acting uh, director of citizenship and immigration services, Ken Cuccinelli, um, uh, in supporting Trump's policy, he uh, did his own little revision of uh, the poem that is uh, on a plaque on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty, written by Emma Lazarus in 1883 called The New Colossus. It was a sonnet, and he he rewrote the last few lines. And I'll just read the last few lines uh, for you of the original, uh, which uh, which go like this. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And these were translated by Trump's... uh, Acting Director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, Ken Cuccinelli, too. (laughs) (laughs) Scottish Mermaid news now. And, um, well, there's been great concern over uh, the the health and well-being of mermaids as a species. They're feared endangered. Most aquariums no longer have mermaids. Uh, They have... Well, fish, and they often have human staff, but seldom both merged at once. And, uh, well, in Scotland in particular, well, the mermaid is in many ways the national emblem of Scotland um, due to, uh, well, it really encapsulates a lot of what Scotland is about when you look at the difference in life expectancy between the top half and the bottom half. But that really encapsulates uh, Scottish economics. Um, but, uh, Tiff, tell us uh, what's, been, uh, what's been going on in the world of Scottish mermaidry. Well, obviously, there's only one person that I can ask uh, to explain this story uh, accurately. Um, So to unpack this story, Scottish Boyfriend explains a hing. So there's this new programme on the BBC about a real-life mermaid, right? And I got a call the other day from Wee Kenny going on and on about it, saying, I tell you, there was real. 
uh, and basically trying to convince me that the story he had told me and Johnny about him kissing a real-life mermaid was actually true. Now, bear in mind, this was about seven years ago he told us that story. And Kenny can uh, usually can't even remember what happened on f***ing Corey two days ago. So this mermaid incident must have had a real impact on him, no? So I thought to myself, maybe he's not talking shite after all, right? Then I remembered, took me a minute, like, because as I say, it was f***ing eight years ago. But I remember that day when we Kenny thought he'd winched a mermaid. We'd been up at the field, right, behind the academy, picking magic mushies. Me, we Kenny, Johnny and Johnny's big bread, Davy. Uh, anyway, there were hunters and we were just gubbing them down. I remember we Kenny talking pish about a mermaid, but we didn't pay any attention because Johnny was spewing his ring and ended up having to get his stomach pumped. So, I, uh, I didn't care what this BBC hang is about, but I'll tell you one thing. If mermaids are real, I guarantee there's no way any of them would kiss wee Kenny's stupid face. Well, there you go. I think we've all been educated and illuminated uh, by that. And um, before we go, one final piece of very important news. A Chinese zoo has tried to pass off a dog as a wolf. Um, there was some social media footage, is there any other kind these days, uh, from a visitor to the Zhang Wushan Zoo in Xianning, Hubei province, who went to see the wolf enclosure. And in the wolf enclosure, there was something that was, I think we can say, obviously not a wolf. Um, it was a dog, uh, it looked like a Rottweiler dog, uh, which doesn't really look like a wolf. But let, let's give this zoo some credit. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes. You know, if you if you say there's going to be a wolf and then it's not a wolf, you know, your customers are going to be understandably confused. But dogs are descended from wolves. So is this not really, you know, an, an education, almost a, an educational satire on on evolution? You know, what is wolf? What is dog? And also, it's not that dissimilar to when you go to a petting zoo that promises you a chance to get up and close, up close and personal with a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And all it is, is a chicken. And, you know, we've all been there. And that, to me... <laughs> It's fair enough. And of course, in China, there is a bit of a trend these days for uh, things locked in enclosures to be wrongly labelled, whether it's a dog labelled as a wolf or victims of ethnic cleansing and human rights abuses labelled as re-education students. It's <laughs> maybe just it's just a labelling issue, isn't it? Wasn't there a scientific experiment in the Soviet Union where the, where they tried to accelerate the evolution of wolves by they would they would kill wolves that acted out to see how quickly they could turn them into dogs? That sounds like the best reality TV show <laughs> and the worst reality TV show at the same time. A dog in wolf's clothing. Speed evolution with David Attenborough and his magic bolt gun. Evolve now. No? How about this gun? Does that make you want to hurry up? <laughs> Uh, well, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Don't forget to listen to the Bugle's sister publication, The Gargle, the magazine supplement to The Bugle, coming out every week uh, with the wonderful Alice Fraser. Tiff, I think you were on that uh, last week or this week. Yes, I was. Yes, uh, myself and Hari. It was, ve- it was very uh, fun. Do, do listen to that. Uh, Tiff, any shows to uh, tell people about? Oh, well, I have a show the day after, I think, the live Bugle, which I believe is the 27th, 27th of March. Of March well remember it should all, all go buy tickets for that. And then on the 28th of March, you should watch me do my work in progress with the next up comedy at 7 p.m. Um, so most places in the world you can watch this. So if you want to watch it in the afternoon in America, although I did specifically do a show 
for the Americans that was four o'clock in the morning in the UK. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, uh, 28th of March, I think if you've got a Next Up membership, you can watch it for free. Otherwise, tickets are £9. NATO, any uh, any shows or album releases? Uh, you know, my my albums, my two album, comedy albums are available online. The best way to buy them is Bandcamp. That's where I get the most uh, dough. Uh, uh, follow me at Nato Green on, on Twitter, Mr. Nato Green on Instagram. On Sunday, I am doing my first live performance in an outdoor show. I, my, the first time I've been on stage live in a year with an actual audience, uh, outdoors, mass on, safe situation. Uh, and the show will be, I think, streamed via the website of Brokeass Stewart, is the name. Uh, so it'll be, but it, I haven't t- talked to people out, outside my house in a year, so it could be a total, <laughs> total cluster. F- so who knows? Um, and if you want, so if you're interested in, in something completely different, uh, I have a, a new article out in the arts journal Hyperallergic, uh, hyperallergic.com about Cuban art. Uh, so I am a Renaissance man. <laughs> I have an article about cricket statistics out in the Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine. So, you know, we're, we're all writing stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm not a Renaissance man. Uh, anyway, uh, thank at, at you. Least, at least you're qualified to write about cricket statistics, <laughs> which cannot be said about my musings about Cuban art. <laughs> uh, don't forget the Bugle live show on the 27th of March. Tickets available via the Bugle website or just the internet in general. We'll be back. Next week with Nish Kumar and Hari Kondabolu. Uh, Until then, buglers, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>